Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Imago Day, where we're learning to see the image of God in everyone, everywhere. Thanks for joining us today. So the story, what happened was I had to go to the library, I needed a book, and the I had the call number and so I was headed towards my destination and all of a sudden, you know, there was this lady and my eyes just settled on her face and she was, her face was hurt looking, it was angry, worse than grumpy, it, it was um, harsh, broken maybe, and I, I kind of wanted to stop and say something, or, um, but I didn't. So I just walked by and I gave her a really warm smile and I said a little prayer for her and then I went to the area where I thought my book would be and I was just going through the books and she came close to me and she asked me, she said, can you help me zip up my coat? It's cold out and this coat is really hard to zip up. <laughs> so I said, yes, I can help you zip up your coat. and. Um, I went over and it was very small. She was really petite, but the coat was super small and it was really hard to get the coat zipped up. And I had to kneel down and try several times and finally got it zipped up. And um, I took her hand and just told her that I hoped that she would stay warm tonight and that I would pray for her. And um, when I looked up at her face, it was just so different. It was transformed. It was tender and soft and friendly and lovely. You know, the transformation that I saw in such a short time, you know, affected me deeply. You know, the world was not such a cold, dark place for a few minutes, you know. The world was good and people were kind to each other. That spoke volumes to me about just the power of relationship and reaching out to people and um, trusting God that we are made in His image and they are made in His image and they, people will respond to His love. It's not always going to be roses and loveliness, but we're always planting seeds. And so I just want to remember that even if it doesn't turn out beautifully like it did with that woman, it's still worth doing. Been loving these stories. Several years ago, our family took the obligatory trip to Washington, D.C., right? You have to do that at one point. And I got to say, it probably was our favorite trip that we have ever done as a family together. And you can't help but notice when you visit D.C. all of the monuments that are there, right? There are tons of monuments. They have monuments for presidents. Let's do a little audience participation here. Who's this? Roosevelt. How about this one? Jefferson. Last but not least, right? Lincoln, they also have monuments for wars. Here's the monument to World War II. Here's the monument to the Vietnam War. And here's the monument to the Korean War. They also have monuments honoring veterans. This is the monument to the soldiers who took Iwo Jima. And then last but not least, they have monuments honoring great people. Here's a monument to Martin Luther King Jr. 
Now, now the question is, what is the purpose of all of these monuments? Well, in a real simple way, it's simply to honor them for what they did. And in the same way as we finish up our four-week series called Imago Day, where if you're following on your notes, we've been learning to see everyone everywhere in the image of God. We're going to talk today about the importance of honoring others. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that some of the ideas for this last three weeks was based out of a book written by John Tyson, and this chapter that he wrote about honor in particular impacted me. As we've been saying throughout this series, I think we noticed today there's this huge shift that's taken place, I don't know over how many years now, but our culture is one of anger. It's one of hostility. It's one of division. And perhaps, perhaps the best word to sum that all up was found in this book. It just was like an aha moment for me. He calls it a culture of contempt. For so long, I've been looking for a word to kind of describe where we are as a culture. I think this is it. When we choose not to see everyone everywhere created in the image of God, when we choose fear over hospitality, when we choose, as Brian talked about last week, labels over love, we end up in this place where we find ourselves today, a culture of contempt. We show contempt for those who don't agree with our political views. We show contempt for those who don't agree with our religious views. We show contempt for the rich. We show contempt for the poor. We show contempt for family members that embarrass us and cause us trouble. We show contempt in the church. We show contempt for those who worship differently, who have different theological positions, who preach differently. We show contempt about masks in the church. I mean, I got to tell you, I can't believe the last 18 months I've talked to several of my friends who are pastors, the amount of anger and contempt shown over issues like this. I've set, read something like 20% of pastors have resigned in this past year. There's this contempt in our world today. And the scary thing is we can just become numb to it in our own lives. And so here's what I want to talk about, challenge you with as we close this series today. If you're following on your notes, choosing honor over contempt can bring hope to a hurting world. We can fight against this, friends. We can fight against fear. We can fight against hostility. We can fight against contempt. And so we're going to talk about honor and contempt today. Here's how I want to do that. First, I want to talk about what honor even means. We don't use this word that much in our culture anymore, even though 80% of the world talks about honor and the scriptures are full of ideas about honor. Then I want to talk about what contempt is and how it can keep us from being the people God has called us to be. And then last but not least, what would it look like if we actually chose as a people of God today to choose honor over contempt? So to do that, I'm going to invite you, if you haven't already, to take your Bible and turn it to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 9. If you don't have your own Bible or your own tablet or your own phone or whatever, we always carry some Bibles in the seat underneath you there, those black Bibles. You can find Romans 12 on page, I don't have it there. Somebody's going to have to yell that out. What page is it on the black Bibles? What is it? 920. Page 920 on your black Bibles. So we're going to start in verse 9 together, if you have it open. A little background. Every letter Paul writes, he usually starts those letters with some theology. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus did. And then about halfway through that letter, he shifts into what that means for us as his people. And in Romans 12, we come upon that shift. 
I mean, Romans is like his magnus opus. And then he talks about what would it look like if we actually lived this out? And so we come to verse nine. It's gonna be kind of these quick little statements he makes about what the church could be. Look at verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now read verse 10 out loud on your notes from the English Standard Version with me there. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'll continue. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Woo, that sounds pretty awesome. How would you like to be a part of a place that lived that way? Today, I want to key in on one of those verses, specifically verse 10, and what it would look like for us to outdo one another in honor. The reason I chose that translation, don't you just love the idea that honoring each other should be a competition? Like we should be tripping over ourselves as the people of God, showing honor to one another. Honor, as I mentioned, it's not a word we use much anymore today. Maybe we think about Mother's Day. I honor my mom by actually calling her or sending her a card on that special day. But this word honor is one of the most beautiful and neglected words in the church. If you're following on your notes in the New Testament, the Greek word for honor means to assign value or to prize highly. It was originally a financial term, actually. You would give someone a gift in keeping with their value or their status. It's where we get our English word honorarium. Have you heard that before? Somebody comes and speaks or they give a lecture or they do a leadership conference. They get, they're given an honorarium as a way to respect them, to value them, their contribution that you get, they gave to us. Some of you in this church family know that on Thursday, we had a really hard day as a church. We gathered in this room and we had a funeral for a 33-year-old mother of three named Angie Sitterlet, married to Josh Sitterlet. Other family members come to this church as well. It was terrible. But one of the things you will learn over and over about Angie and her story is that she practiced this. She honored others. She literally prized others highly. And this idea of honoring is everywhere in the scriptures. I'll just point out a few. In Ephesians 6, 2, quoting the Ten Commandments, Paul writes, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Is this true just for little kids? It's true for all of us. We are to honor our parents our whole lives. It's the only scripture with a promise given to it. 1 Peter 3, 7, talked about this several months ago. Husbands are to honor their wives. Paul tells us in Romans 13, we're to honor the governing authorities. How are we doing with that? Now, my temptation is to go, well, Paul, you don't know what it's like today. But Paul was writing this letter during the time when Emperor Nero was reigning. Do you know about him? He would literally cover Christians in wax, light them on fire, and use them as torches in his garden. And it's to those people, Paul writes, honor the governing authorities. What if we chose honor even those we totally disagree with? 1 Thessalonians, we're going to study that, says to honor those who work for the church. That means you're to honor me. 
And yet it goes both ways. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 23, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. In other words, we may put people up on the podium and think, oh, they're the most important thing. We need to honor them. But Paul reminds us we honor everyone, even those we don't think about very often. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, we're told we're to honor God with our bodies especially when it comes to sexual immorality. We are to prize the bodies God has given us highly. Honor is just actively recognizing the value of something. And in Romans 12 that we just read, we're told we're to do that with everyone. Honor one another. Outdo each other in honor. Some of you remember several years ago, the current governor, Governor Rauner, came and worshiped with us at this church. And I just happened to be speaking that day. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, did you know Governor Rauner's here? And I watched and people are going up to him, saying hi to him. They're giving him honor. Now listen, what if we treated everyone that way? Did you know Debbie, mother of two, is here today? No, are you serious? Yes, she's here. What if we literally treated everybody with the same honor that we treat someone famous? I mean, who would do that, though? Who would treat an ordinary person with that kind of honor? Jesus. Not only would he, but he did again and again and again. And that's the whole idea behind this series, friends. We've spent four weeks since Vision Sunday challenging ourselves to see everyone everywhere created in the image of God because everyone everywhere has intrinsic value and worth and we can honor them regardless of whether we like them, regardless of whether we agree with them, and regardless of whether we even know them. A community of honor is a place that still holds strongly to their beliefs without compromises and yet can still value, respect, acknowledge, honor, and love others. That is what our world needs. That'd be a great place for an amen. But our culture is not like that. We're far more likely to be on the receiving end of sarcasm, hate, cynicism, disgust, anger, criticism, and more. Ours is a culture of contempt. Now, again, what is contempt? I'm using this word. Well, contempt is that feeling inside of us that puts someone beneath our consideration. They deserve our scorn. It's a mixture of emotions. It's kind of the sum of all the emotions we have of anger and disgust and arrogance and gratitude, entitlement. If you're following on your notes, contempt is lowering the value of someone as worthless. When I'm experiencing contempt, I'm dehumanizing someone as less than, less than me, less than others. It's raising myself above them, not seeing them as human beings created in the image of God. And we all do this. I do this. No joke, just on Wednesday, I'm at Meyer in the 12 items or less I'm not even kidding you. A lady had 50 items in her cart and she was going through it. I'm not joking. Now, is the feeling of anger at that point okay? Yeah, I can feel anger. But what happens to us is this feeling of anger turns into contempt. And I dehumanize that person. I think less of that person. 
And the problem is when contempt controls the people of God, it becomes a spiritual cancer that eats away at our power. It eats away at our message and it eats away at our hope. The best example I see of this in the Bible is found in Mark chapter six. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like to. It's on page 816 of those black Bibles. This is the story of when Jesus returns to his hometown. In fact, we read in verse one, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. Now, some of you know Jesus' hometown was Nazareth, population probably at the most 500 people. It's definitely one of those towns where everybody knew everybody else and everybody knew everybody else's business. And so you might expect the hometown heroes coming back. There's going to be a parade, right? There's going to be a band. If you ever used to watch American Idol, remember when the finalists before the big finale, they'd all go home and there'd be these crazy parades, people falling over themselves, wanting an autograph just to see their hero. Wouldn't you expect that? I mean, Jesus has been on this widespread ministry tour. People can't believe his teaching. He's performing these incredible miracles. What is he going to find when he comes back home to Nazareth, verse 2? When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Good start. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's the wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Listen, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And then what does it say? They took offense at him. Have you ever heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? That's what we have right here, right? Those who are close to Jesus are offended by Jesus because they can't understand how such wisdom and power could come from someone like them, like him. Notice they have contempt with his skill set. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he just a common working class dude? He doesn't have this kind of authority. Isn't this the son of Mary? You remember Mary? She claimed, isn't this the one where she claimed the Holy Spirit got her impregnant? You gotta be kidding me. Isn't this the one who has brothers and sisters? Aren't they the troublemakers in the classroom? Weren't his brothers just the other night playing baseball and they broke Jehoshaphat's window? Of course, I know there was no baseball or windows back then, but you get the point. Because of their familiarity, they took offense at him and the Greek word here implies contempt. Contempt so easily slips into our hearts these days and it just stays there. And what stays in our hearts often comes out in our mouths as Jesus' brother James writes about, right? Why does this happen? Why, if you're falling on your notes, is because contempt devalues people to justify our anger. Does this make sense? We need, when we feel anger or disgust, we need a way to justify that. And so we reduce people to something less than who they are. That's how we can justify the way we speak or treat others. And according to John Tyson, if you're following on the screen there, this creates a dynamic of power and superiority from which most relationships never recover. Every exercise of power incorporates a faint, almost imperceptible element of contempt for those over whom the power is exercised. Listen, one can dominate another human soul only if one despises the person one is subjecting. When contempt becomes the operating system of a society, disdain can become dangerous. All atrocities, including the Holocaust and the Rwandan genocide, started by lowering the value of others and justifying the right to dismiss and ultimately 
destroy them. I personally believe this is one of the most toxic forces eroding our culture today. And it's found its way into the church. And here's what I want to say. No church can thrive in the power of the Holy Spirit with this lurking in its pews or in our comfortable seats in our case. We just can't. We will miss out on the power that Jesus wants to flow in and through us. It poisons our hearts. If you're following on your notes, we can't have intimacy with Jesus or others if we harbor contempt. How do I know this? Still have Mark open? Let's pick up the story in verse four. Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Now read verses five and six on your notes there with me. It says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Don't you wonder if those people had treated Jesus with honor, what could have happened in their town? All their diseases could have been healed. All their needs could have been met. People could have been set free from the bondage of sin. No one would have gone away hungry, empty, oppressed, or shamed. But without honor, we read all he could do is heal a few sick people. Their lack of faith, their inability to honor him amazed him. There's a lesson here for us if you're on your notes. Honor opens us up to blessing. Contempt shuts it off. This is true for how we treat Jesus, and it's also true for how we treat others. I don't know what you picture there at the end of that. I don't imagine Jesus feeling disgust and anger and contempt at their reaction. My picture is he's just kind of sad. And like he tells his disciples, if a town rejects them, he sort of just walks away, shakes the dust off off of his feet. And by the way, that's a great way to handle when somebody is showing you contempt. Just walk away because it's not going to go any better than it is. They just lowered Jesus' value. They said to him, you're no better than us, and we have no need for you. And he walked away. When we honor people, when we honor Jesus, we get access to things we would not otherwise get. When we dishonor them, we cut ourselves off from it. It reminds me of what Jesus says two chapters earlier in Mark 4, 24. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. What measure are we using when it comes to how we view others? I was thinking about how do we walk around today thinking differently about people? And the idea I had is this idea of a filter. How many of you use Instagram? Two. Wow. (laughs) Congratulations. Brian's message last week really worked, I guess, huh? On Instagram, if you have a picture you don't like, you can choose a filter to make it look better. And what if we went around today choosing to have an honor filter all the time on our eyes instead of a contempt filter? How many times have we failed to realize the potential in a fellow human being because of the contempt that we view them with? Sometimes it's so easy to prejudge somebody before we even know them. This could be based on Race, gender, nationality, politics, social status, religion, anything else. It could be like with Jesus here. We think we know somebody so well. We're so familiar with them 
that we just don't want to give them the time of day. So we dismiss them out of hand. So how do we make sure we don't do this? Let's put on a new filter, a filter of honor. Paul talks about this filter in 2 Corinthians 5.16, also up on the screen. He says, so from now on, let this be true for us. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. This means we no longer filter people through our cultural categories or our personal preferences. We see all people, this is kind of a summation of this whole series, right? We see all people everywhere created in the image of God, worthy of honor, worthy of, worthy of our, our, our love, of our time, of our attention, created in the image of God. I love the video we saw earlier. Gina, she saw that woman, and instead of choosing a filter of contempt, she chose a filter of honor. And you could hear how much it impacted not just that lady, but her at the end of it. That is what can happen when we choose to live this way. If you're following on your notes, Jesus had a filter of honor with everyone he encountered. This is what people loved about him, right? Regardless of the contempt the culture showed them, he saw it differently. He didn't see tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, outcasts, Samaritans. He saw people crowned with glory because they too were created in the image of God. They too bear God's image in this world today. And he gave them honor in ways nobody else ever had. I don't know about you, but as we close this morning, I want to reclaim that. Because this right here, I think, is what our world is yearning and hungering for. So let me offer you four ways to put on that honor filter in your life today. The first way is by listening to and respecting people's stories. Everyone has a backstory. Every person has been shaped by pain or hurt or wounds that impact the way they act today. Rather than rushing to judgment, then honor takes into consideration what people have been through, things we may not even know about. Stephen Covey, a famous leadership writer, tells this famous story of he was riding on a train one day to work and there was this dad with three kids and the three kids were just running havoc all over the train. And he's getting really annoyed along with all the, all the other passengers there. So I'll pick it up. He finally gets so angry. He says, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think or do. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Covey writes, can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My contempt vanished. Knowing that other people have a story can help us to be more patient. It can help us to see them and value them without judging them before we know everything that's going on. Second, we can put this honor filter on by recognizing all people have a unique purpose and destiny. Acts 17, 26 says that God has determined the exact time and place in history in which we are to live. Psalmist writes, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. We learned in Genesis, every person is created in his image. Now, I like to apply those verses to myself and the people I love. 
But that's also true of the people we don't like so much, isn't it? I like to take personality tests to understand who I am, what my calling is. But I wonder, do I do the same thing with other people? Do I want to see them flourish in their purpose and the destiny that God has laid out for them? Honoring them is a way we can do that. Before we judge them, we say God has a purpose and a destiny. Yes, even for them. Part of being created in the image of God means every person we come in contact with is an eternal being. And therefore, they have an eternal destiny. And this is the message that Jesus has given us to share, that your eternal destiny can either be with him or apart from him. And when I think of that, when I realize the reality and the weight of that, I have to see every person as someone Jesus died for, because that's exactly what he did. I love what Philip Yancey said about this. Sometimes the most overlooked people are going to become the most important people. Notice what he says. Jesus was the first world leader to inaugurate a kingdom with a heroic role for losers. He spoke to an audience raised on stories of wealthy patriarchs, strong kings, and victorious heroes. Much to their surprise, he honored instead people who have little value in the visible world, the poor, the meek, the persecuted, and those who mourn, social rejects, the hungry and thirsty. His stories consistently featured the wrong people as heroes, the prodigal, not the responsible son, the good Samaritan, not the Jew, Lazarus, not the rich man, the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Jesus saw everyone everywhere as deserving of honor. Closely related to that, number three, by speaking words of encouragement over criticism. Did you know people will generally live up to the words you speak over them? I just saw a commercial two days ago. It was a Rice Krispies commercial of all things. And these Rice Krispies, you can write little notes on them to your kids when they go to school. And the beginning of the commercial shows this older sister and this younger sister who wants to play with the older sister. And the older sister says, no, I don't want you to play with me. And the mom writes a little note on the Rice Krispie treat and says, you're such a great big sister. The next time it happens, she looks at the Rice Krispie and says, I am a great big sister. And she lets her sister come and play with her. When we treat someone with honor, they will often live up to that. When we treat someone with contempt, they will often live up to that. This is true in every relationship in our life. It's true in your marriage. It's true in your friendships. It's true with your kids. It never ceases to amaze me when I hear parents talk about their kids in front of their kids in such an, a, a, a terrible way, right? Like, oh, little Johnny, he's such a terror. Well, what came first? Those words? I mean, what do you expect them to act like when you speak that way? Listen, here's my challenge. Speak the truth over people that you want to see in them. We have more power with our tongue than we think to destroy people or to release people into their destiny and their purpose. Jesus did this. A fisherman, are you kidding me? A prostitute, are you kidding me? A tax collector, are you kidding me? They changed the course of history, though. Because Jesus saw something in them that nobody else was willing to see, and he called it out of them. I've shared this story before, but when I went into college, I was a very shy, insecure, self-doubting young man. I wanted to major in communications because of a particular professor, so the first class I had to take was public speaking. I hated it. I dreaded it. And the professor that I respected took me aside after a terrible speech and said, I really think you could do this. That changed my whole life. For the first time ever, I knew I was meant to do something with this. 
This one word of encouragement opened up a door of purpose and destiny, and I stepped through it, and I've never been the same since. The honor filter my professor saw looked past my circumstances as a shy, insecure, introverted, self-doubting young man, and he looked into the future that God had for me. We can do that. I'll say it like this. Honor sees who someone can become, not just who they were or who they are. If familiarity breeds contempt, honor can call out something better. Finally, we can use an honor filter by creating a safe space in conflict. Oh, gosh. If we could just do one thing as a result of this, this would be it right here. Conflict. We don't know how to have it anymore. We just don't. In conflict... In bad ways, we raise all kinds of things like fear and shame and guilt and hate. And the moment that happens, we've sabotaged any chance we have at reconciliation with someone. We all do better when we feel safe with others. If I don't feel safe, this little part in my brain called the amygdala starts to act up and says, self-defense, blame, anger, react. Nobody responds well to contempt. I'm not a big social media guy, and it's partly because of this. I mean, I used to be. And I'd read these articles about the election or about this, and I would just get angry, and I'd feel contempt, and I'd notice it would just sit with me day after day after day. I put Ephesians 5, 25 on your notes there. That's the famous verse that says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. We use that for marriage all the time, but how true is that in every area of our lives? Why would Paul write that? Because he knows The longer we sit with anger, the more likely it can become bitterness, and the more likely bitterness turns into contempt. So how can we create, as the people of God, a safe space where we can fundamentally disagree about things and yet still respect and honor one another? I'll tell you, it's called humility. It's called forgiveness. It's called gentleness. It's called a lot of the things Paul wrote about in Romans 12. So listen, when people disagree with you about something, instead of starting with anger or pride or contempt, saying you're an idiot for believing that, that's not going to go very far. How about starting with something like, I want you to know that I value you. I respect you as a person. Our relationship matters to me, and I'm committed to this relationship, but there's something we need to talk about. This is very difficult for me to talk about. Would that change the atmosphere of that conversation? I mean, I do this all the time, of course. It's a joke. I think, though, we can learn how to open up a safer space for disagreements and arguments. We can learn to honor people by creating that space for disagreement, even those we strongly dislike. I'm going to say this for the last time in this series. This isn't about compromising our beliefs. It's about treating people the way Jesus treated people. Disagree, yes. Demean, no. So as we finish up, how do we put this into practice? I've got two ideas for us. I've said this every week I've preached. Practice repentance when you treat others with contempt. How many of you have fell into contempt? All of us. So what do we do when this happens? We repent. I'm going to say this for the millionth time in this church. Repent is one of the greatest gifts God has given us as his people. It's the opportunity to say, whoops, I've noticed I'm going down this path. That's not doing good work in my life. I'm going to change that. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. I'm going to walk in that grace now. So literally, this might mean I might have to apologize to somebody I treated with contempt. 
I might not be able to read or watch the things that I know are going to damage me and bring me down into this dark place of contempt. It's literally changing what I'm doing and moving in direction that God wants me. Number two, honor one person every day in your life in a practical way. This literally could take you one minute. One minute a day. Need some ideas? Here's some. Speak a word of value over someone and be specific. I learned this lesson with Peggy, my wife, right? I would say, I love you. She says, I would rather hear what you like about me. It's like, oh, that's good. And so we've tried to become more specific. Do that with someone in your life. Write a letter or a note of encouragement. That's why we continue to have these in our seatbacks, right? You never know the power of one word to call somebody up into something could have on them. Here's one, public praise. If you work at an office and you're gathered around the water cooler or whatever it is these days, the donut box, <laughs> use that as a chance to say, hey, everybody, hey, team, I just want to call out, listen, so-and-so did some awesome work on this last project. Can we just acknowledge that? What a way to honor somebody in such a simple, easy way. Give a gift. Make eye contact with people and listen to them. Listen, if someone famous came up to you right now, we'd all be like, yeah, uh -huh. let's do it for every person we come in contact with because every person deserves that kind of honor. Here's another idea. Give way to another person's preference. If you got your heart set on going to Domino's after church today and your friend would rather go to whatever, Taco Bell, go to Taco Bell. That's a way to honor someone. I'd even say this as an introvert. Make sure you recognize quiet people. Pull the best out of them. Friends, here's the challenge I'm giving us as we close this series. How and where can I choose honor over contempt in my life? Now, I know you're tempted to put away your notes, and I didn't use the trick where I put the last thing on the notes. It's the last thing I say in the message. But let me just say a couple more things here. Can you imagine? Just pause. You just wrote down a lot of stuff. Can you imagine what kind of a community we could create if we saw and treated people through an honor filter? I mean, really, what would happen if I saw, you saw, everyone everywhere is created in the image of God? What would happen if we chose hospitality over fear? What would happen if we chose love over labels? And what would happen if we chose honor over contempt? I'd like to quote John Tyson one more time about what he thinks could happen. I believe conflict would be transformed. Young people would be filled with vision. The elderly would be respected. The marginalized would be empowered. And the invisible would be seen. Disagreements would be handled with respect. Enemies would be humanized. And civility would be restored. This community would be unlike any other. This community would be the kingdom of heaven on earth. Cherry Hills. Who's in? I want that kind of a community. Our city is longing for that kind of a church. And so as we finish up this series, here's my hope for you. May we see everyone everywhere created in the image of God. May we treat everybody with hospitality instead of fear. May we treat others with love instead of labeling them. And would we show honor instead of contempt, just like Jesus did with you? Let's pray. Father, those words, what I said at the end, are really the heart of this whole thing. You're not asking us to do anything that you didn't already do with us. You treat us with incredible hospitality. You treat us with amazing love. 
and you treat us with honor. You prized us highly, highly enough that you would put yourself on a cross and bleed for our sin so that we could have eternal life with you. How can we not do the same for others? My heart is kind of broken just as we look around in the culture today. I know many of my friends in this room feel the same. So much anger and animosity and hatred, contempt. Help us not be a bigger part of that problem, but let us be a part of the solution. Call us up to something better. Call us up to the way of Jesus. We want to be light and salt. We confess, we repent of the ways we're not like that. Every one of us in this room, we know. And we ask you to embolden us, to fill us once again with the power of your Holy Spirit as we walk out of this place into these difficult situations and difficult relationships. Let us still know you and choose, choose to see everyone everywhere created in your image. May it be so. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.